Hello, and welcome to Siren Coffee and Science, a series of conversations on hot topics in health and social care integration, brought to you by the Social Interventions Research and Evaluation Network at the University of California, San Francisco. Today's episode was originally recorded as a live web event and has been lightly edited for this podcast. Okay, well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Siren Coffee and Science. Uh, my name is Nadia Islam. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Population Health at NYU. Um, we're really excited today to launch a set of six coffee and science conversations, really honing in on the assistance category described in the National Academy of Medicine report on integrating social care into healthcare. For those of you who haven't heard the first Coffee and Science podcast featuring Kristen Bivens Domingo about that framework, when we say assistance, we're referring to healthcare sector activities that aim to reduce social risk by providing or linking patients with relevant social services. So I'm absolutely thrilled today to have the opportunity to talk with Maria Lemus, the Executive Director of Vision y Compromiso, an organization created and led by Promotoras that supports their work to improve well-being and create lasting community change. So Maria and I are gonna to talk today about community health workers or CHWs and promotoras assist people with social needs in healthcare and community settings. Um, and we're gonna explore the kind of potential risks and benefits of formalizing CHW roles in the healthcare sector's social care workforce. It's been great getting to know you um, through preparation for this podcast. And it's been a real privilege for me to have worked with and learned from CHWs over the past two decades. And I really consider this workforce a key pillar to achieving health equity. And Maria, I, I know that you know that following passage of the ACA and kind of movements toward value-based care, there's been this just mm -hmm. onslaught of interest by health systems partners in engaging CHWs. But, you know, this model is not new. And so I'm particularly struck by sort of a lack of understanding from health systems in particular about what CHW model is and what the promotoras model is. So... I'm going to turn to you. Can you tell us about the different models of CHWs and promotoras, both in healthcare and in the community, and then kind of walk us through the core nature of their work, really, regardless of the setting? Well, thank you very much, Nadia. It really, I'm thrilled to be here. I think that there is a misunderstanding, and, and it's interesting because promotoras and the community model has been around, I say, since Eve was a grandmother. It's not new to any community. And we say that the promotora is the person that has the espirito de servicio. It's that person who, who initially from the heart wants to serve their community. That's really the core of who the promotor is and the model is. Mm -hmm. And it exists across every country. You have the Felders in Russia, you have the Barefoot Doctors. Every racial and ethnic community has that aunt or the grandmother or that uncle who is. So what we did 20 years ago is we came together and we said, well, there's a lot of us who are doing this work informally. At that time, promotoras were mostly volunteers. And we wanted to really know more information so that we could share information. And in doing that, we started to find that in those days, they were really not affiliated with health systems. They were in Girl Scouts. They were in resource centers. They're affiliated with church. They were in those natural places where we conduct discussions. And as ACA came about, and community health workers and promotoras were kind of uh, assigned a role, then that role has evolved into what you see now, which is a lot of iterations of the promotor model. And those iterations happen because of funding. You know, the project development really requires a different language or a different, a different activity. 
or it happens because of philosophy that, you know, maybe the healthcare community wants it from a health worker to do something slightly different. And so there's such a difference now. When, when we started, there was a clear black and white, promotor, community health worker, and the community health workers are in counties. Now it's all gray, it's all in between. And it really is a function of so many variables that I think what gets confused is who that person is. And it still really is this person here. Mm-hmm. APHA has defined it so. But the implementation of that and the development of that role and that position changes so dramatically. Oftentimes, it by the organizational wanting it to be image of who they are. Mm-hmm. And so it, cha- it changes. Therefore, the requirements change, the training changes, the, the who that person is changes. Um, right. and, and, and I think that's kind of a disservice to who that person is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really appreciate, and I think from CHWs themselves and CHW leaders and activists, we hear this over and over. We really need to distinguish roles and responsibilities of CHWs from their qualities. That's tricky, particularly for healthcare institutions to understand that CHWs and promotors are really hired based on qualities. And and that central quality is around sort of a community helper nature. And then the other thing is to really you know, reflect that this model is very much rooted in social justice and, and power building movements from across the country, from across the world, and particularly in the U.S. as well, from the 1960s. So, exactly. let's, yeah, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you started to, to move towards this. What are some of the risks when healthcare institutions start institutionalizing CHWs and promotores as a workforce? What, what have you seen as some of the pitfalls and challenges? I think there are two that I can think right offhand. One is the workforce, who gets the jobs. And what we found early on is that because the design of that role was so so narrow in scope and the organizations start to define it in their own image, meaning that, for instance, they want somebody who can write reports, who can do data, who can do it. Well, that's not a promotor typically. That could be somebody else, a different role. But as they start to bunch and think as an institution and intellectualizing what that what they want and the implementation of it changes the role of the person, which then changes who can apply for that position. And so we call it unintended consequences. If my mother was a promotora, for instance, and she had a sixth grade education, she had all the qualities that we're talking about. If you put a job description out that you want somebody who speaks fluent English, has a high school degree, can do data entry or understand computers, my mom would not, you would not get her, you would get me. And so the unattended consequence in workforce means that there is no direct line for a community promotor to move into employment. We have a workforce initiative where we are working with promotoras to move them, give them some of those skills that they'll be able to apply for positions and also working with employers to kind of redefine what those roles are. What what is your need and how can you best employ community? Because we believe that a job is the most important factor in a family's trajectory. Employment, having money that you can spend on food, on transportation, and it, it affects it, you know, clearly affects the social determinants. So we have now started to really look at how to, uh, by example, we, we hire currently 150 promotoras across our projects. We've developed systems that support them. So by example, we're showing that you can take a farm worker 
you can move her out of the fields. You can give her skills and abilities and whatever that project requires. You have a coordinator who's a promotora and then you have a manager who's a promotor. And we're showing by example that you don't have to bring in someone who has a, a BA or an MPH to supervise a group of those. They can do it, but it requires some understanding and some skill building and some supervisory skills. Mm-hmm. I think that workforce is, is probably the big place that it's affecting uh, yeah. our community. Yeah, I, I really I, I really appreciate that you've centered workforce because I think the CHW and Promothera model is fundamentally is a leadership building and capacity building um, opportunity as well as workforce. And so um, I think you sp- speak to that really well in describing the kind of potential trajectory of taking, for example, a farm worker who has been very active in organizing labor populations and kind of moving them into the space of making connections between communities and healthcare systems directly may address workplace challenges or issues. And I think you were going to mention one other key challenge. Another one for me is advocacy. And we have always advocated in subtle ways. You know, the Latino community is, especially our immigrant Latino community, is very modest, I think. And most immigrant communities, I think, internally are that way. And so how do we move our communities from understanding who they are in this new world and what their rights are and how do you advocate for their rights? I think that's really important for the second and third generations that we have. Mm-hmm. How can they model without losing the essence of who they are? For instance, my parents were Mexican and they came here for a new life. They wanted better for their children, which we, I think we all have that in common, no matter where we're from or where our parents are from. And they saw it happen with me, but For the sake of being American, quote, American, and the melting pot, I lost a lot of what was very traditional in my early years because I had to merge into this this system. But now we have an organization that provides that. So we honor the traditions that, that my children will learn about and my grandchildren hopefully will learn about. You know, the resiliency factors still are relevant to this day. When I think about these children that are coming across or anybody who leaves their country from Nicaragua, which is 3,000 or so miles away, and comes here with the idea of, of a new life, what, what it takes to do that. You know, I can barely move from the Bay Area to L.A. without being traumatized, and, and they do that. So part so of what, never going to move again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you know, my son's in New York. I, I'm traumatized that he's there. It's so far away. But how, how is it that we can help understand what the system is and how we can survive, not only live in it, but survive and thrive in the system, that advocacy and education is really important. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit more about those systems of support that are needed for CHWs and promotores? I know your Vision y Compromiso has developed several reports on best practices for Mm -hmm. supporting the CHW workforce, for integrating CHWs into healthcare organizations. There's kind of a growing literature and and set of sort of implementation-oriented best practices. So can you give us some specific examples of that? And where should those systems of support be situated in the healthcare system or in the community or a combination of both? I think a combination, but certainly in the institutions, it's about leadership. Mm -hmm. The leadership of that institution has to really be forward and say, I believe in this. And and then it goes down the chain, even to the receptionist. Um, if, If a promotora walks in the door or a client walks in the door, and they're not greeted a certain way, you've lost them. And so when you talk about access and, and utilization, if you're not, you could maybe get them to open the door, but if you don't get them through the door, they're not gonna stay and they're not gonna adhere to those. So 
a lot of that I think is the promotor role. Um, imagine if we had a warm handoff to, and a promotor could greet you and could say something warm and welcoming, then I would feel better about going there and I would feel better about taking the next step. So I think it has to be both internal and external and the community um, needs to be informed, needs to be part of the process. We say that going to scale means partnering with community. There's just not enough doctors, nurses, et cetera, to take care of all of us. And in the community I work in with Latinos, we're a lot of people. And I'm overwhelmed by how many of us there are. And I'm one of them. And so how do we take care of ourselves with such limited resources? Because institutions only have so much money. So for me, what I see is I see community organically taking care of itself. So I'll give you an example. Yesterday I was in Coachella and I was very excited about this because we're doing vaccination outreach and we're doing a lot of work there. And there's farm workers that are working right now in 99 degree heat, 99 degree heat. It's not even summer yet. And they're out there picking okra. And I was visiting the mobile homes, which are horrible for farm workers. This lady took me to her home and she has a garden of herbs that take care of everything. Herbs for your knees, herbs for high blood pressure, herbs for this, herbs for that. And we should recognize what exists already in our communities to support. So if I have diabetes, the doctor tells me, you know, you, you now have diabetes and there's a warm handoff to somebody in the community who is well-versed, who understands we have a nutrition program, we have an exercise program in the community that's free. Mm-hmm. And then this is a support, then that's the warm handoff. That's going to scale because mm-hmm. community is already taking care of itself and formalize that relationship. Yeah. And I, uh, I just want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier about kind of leadership buy-in at the healthcare level. You know, one thing that I, I think we've advocated for, for CHWs and promotoras is there's a lot of talk about training and credentialing of the workforce. I think the system also needs to be trained. Leadership needs to be trained and other members of the healthcare team. And I think that's a little bit unique from, from other workforces. So can you reflect on that and, and tell us a little bit about how um, your organization has, has engaged in that? Well, if you look at our workforce papers, we identify six issues, and one of them is supervision and leadership. There has to be a warm welcome. Uh, the organization has to embrace the model and has to embrace that person that's coming in. Otherwise, there is no connection. There is no integration of the promotor model. And the leadership, so the, the CEO first has to make that proclamation. Then everybody has to understand the important role that that promotora plays. For instance, a promotora may be in the office only one day a week. Unless other employees know that that's their role, is to be out in the community, then there could be a lot of things that happen, a lot of whispering and things, and, and they will feel uncomfortable. Also to be valued as, a, as an employee. I think the difficulty is that institutions may have barriers of employment also. I know that some hospitals require two and three and four levels of identification and of screening, mm-hmm. and it may be difficult. So I, I do encourage or those organizations to partner with community-based organizations, which still meet requirements, but it may be a minimal requirement as opposed to um, you know, three or four levels of screening. And that's leadership. That's understanding that I need to work with agencies that can best access our community. And I sometimes think that organizations want to keep it close to the heart. You know, They want to keep their property and they want it to be theirs. Right. When really it's everybody's and they should partner with existing groups that are already doing the work support them in the work that they're doing and consider them as partners, not as employees, but as partners in the well-being of our community. 
You mentioned earlier the sort of graying of differences between CHWs and Pomodoros, and Mm -hmm. um, I think patient navigator is another sort of role and term that's often conflated with those. So based on your expertise and experience, what are the best roles for CHWs in Pomodoros in the healthcare system, and is it different from a patient navigator role? I believe that Pomodoros have a role from preconception to death that in the healthcare delivery system, we have a pregnancy prevention project and we're working with caregiving and and Alzheimer's and hospice right now. Mm -hmm. So if you think about the continuum of care of an individual, having somebody help you is in every phase. And and that's how we look at it. Yeah, it's a socio-ecological model that takes also the concerns of the family, not necessarily the concerns of of a research study led by a DRPH who says this is what is the need. Instead, we look at what are the needs of the families. The, and the navigator model is another model that's erupted from the concept. So when I went back and I said that a lot of these, we go by many names and many projects. This is an example of you know another project that was developed. But at the core of it should be that person from yeah. the community who will drive it. Right. And, and I think I would argue that navigation is a task that CHWs and Pomodoro are certainly engaged in navigating complex systems and making that relevant to the lived realities of the communities that they're serving is a key part of what they do, but it's it's sort of one task among many. And I think that really needs to be grounded in that sort of shared connection with them. I, I think COVID right now is a good example where we started with COVID education. Now we're working with vaccinations. An activity that we're doing that came from that is navigation of resources. So how do I get online? How do I find those food resources? How do I, if somebody can give me a piece of paper and put it on the TV, go here for this resource. But if I don't know how to do it and I don't speak English and I can't wait on the line for 30 minutes or I don't have a phone that has, or I don't have internet broadband, that's Or I don't have an email address, right? So many of my CWs have spent uh, an inordinate amount of time during the pandemic working with community members to establish an email address. Exactly, exactly. And so that's the intellectualization of our work. It's -hmm. somebody who's thinking widgets as opposed to thinking people. That's where the the separation comes with. And leadership means that leader, that CEO should understand and he should go talk to community or his staff and understand that those are the barriers you know, the hesitancy issue is not so much even that we're not compliant. Much of it is, I don't know how to get it. I don't know how to get online. I can't, don't, I can't wait for three hours on my turn in California. There's so many complications to healthcare that we're not able to access and to take benefit of because of the systems that have been developed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And hesitancy is, is such a, a reflection of structural racism and, and access issues are uh, really important. Oh, now, now you get into something, <laughs> into a topic that it, it is, you know, when you think of the healthcare system that was developed mostly for a middle-class community, and now we have such a diversity in the United States, how are we going to redesign it so that it's accessible for us, so that we can really take advantage of the services that, that a system provides? Why should we walk in the door to do that? Why can't that system be with us. You know, when they designed when they designed whole person care, I was really excited because I thought that was going to be in the community. Mm-hmm. We would have a little office and we'd be taking care of patients or promotoras could be doing high blood pressure readings or could be doing all those things in the community. Like we have our, our exercise in the community. Mm-hmm. And instead it became this within the circle. And so 
why not just break break down those those organizational barriers? Mm-hmm. Train promotoras. Look at what Raj Punjabi is doing in Liberia, what they're doing in Mexico, what they're doing in Central America. Promotoras across the world have been doing much more than they're allowed to do here in the United States. Training and with proper supervision, that promotor can do almost anything. And we have shown uh, through Vision and Compromiso, we manage about 45 projects right now. They can do it. Not everybody can do anything, but many of them can do everything. And they don't have an MPH and they don't have a BA, but they're really smart. It's changing our perception about who promotoras are, who is this community, and what is it that they can do. Right. And I, and I think you spoke about the socioecological model earlier. I think a unique piece of, of, of the CHW workforce is that they really are working across levels. They're working mm-hmm. on the interpersonal level, at the family level. You know, having worked with CHWs, they are so, they're such gifted storytellers. And I think that that is a, such a critical piece of advocacy and policy change that CHWs can really help to drive. Right. I mean, we can work in the fields. Like I saw them in the fields um, in Coachella. With, some of them were taking the space and working the fields of 